Hi, I'm Amanda. And I'm Kim. And this is The Department, a podcast about trends, taste, brands, and products. episode seven. If you have a moment, please do go into Apple Podcasts, you know, click a star rating. If you have a few more seconds, add a review, make sure to follow us. It really kind of helps us get seen. But beyond that, you know, before we get started on today's episode, which I'm really excited about, Amanda, have you tried or done anything new in the past month that you're super excited to tell us about? (laughs) I like I like that you brought it into your month because you were like, listen, if I just say last week. Okay, first off, I just do want to say that I got a haircut yesterday. But I just my first haircut in a year. I'm so I, jealous. It was it was very safe. I did not feel nervous at all. And I feel like a new person. But that wasn't anything new to try, although getting a haircut feels new. Yeah. <laughs> uh anyway, I tried something a couple weeks ago that you sent me for my birthday. Exciting. It's like hard to explain explain it's like it was sort of like a meal starter I guess and it's by a company called Umsum and they specialize in Southeast Asian like meal kits sort of it's not like you get the ingredients but you get the sauces and seasoning for it and you sent me this great like matchbox shaped sampler uh first off the art direction is incredible oh my god it is beautiful it's so good Dustin was losing his mind over it and it was really easy. So the recipes that come in the box, it came with little like really nice laminated cards that you can save. They were not vegetarian, which I mean, I wouldn't normally care, but my husband is vegetarian, but I was able to go right onto their website and they had vegetarian versions of everything. So one, that's awesome. A lot of like these like meal companies never think of that. Yeah. And too. It was so good and so easy. Uh, we did the lemongrass tofu. It's just a sauce and you just mix mm-hmm. it with the ingredients. You basically cook your protein with it. And then the serving suggestion was like rice noodles and sliced cucumbers and lettuce, you know, going like like cold salad kind of thing. It was so good. Yeah. I also found a recipe on their site to make uh, like a dressing sort of for the whole thing. It was delicious. It was like got us out of a food rut. I read a little bit more about the brand. It's actually run by two sisters, which I also loved. So five stars. And it's got a really cool, like you can gift it really easily. So it'll be great for the holidays. Yeah. Even when the box showed up at my house, it looked really cute on the outside. The unboxing was really great. So I think it would be a great gift. Right now they're really focusing on like Vietnamese and Filipino recipes, but I know they're expanding into Korean and I can't wait. And you tried just the lemongrass one or did you try the other ones? Just the lemongrass. We're going to do the other ones this week. I was like trying to pace myself because I... I don't want them to run out. (laughs) (laughs) They're very special. They're very special. Really good. I mean, you still have to go buy the ingredients, but it's nothing crazy. Yeah. And yeah, you could just get some like chicken breast. I mean, if you're a meat eater or just vegetables, that's awesome. Yeah. It was so good. I tried something new this week, actually the past two weeks. Um, I'd heard about this brand of uh, sparkling water called Liquid Death. Are you familiar with this? (laughs) Uh, only because you sent me the picture of the can and I was yeah. dying. It's obviously <laughs> a viral, very marketing heavy branded, just water. It's like sparkling water. Um, murder your thirst. Um, <laughs> it, it's all like this kind of like death heavy metal, which I absolutely love, of course. Uh, and they just have like sparkling water and um, regular water. But the reason I heard about it is because I was listening to a podcast and they were talking about how they had just raise nine million dollars in series a funding and i was like what what is it and so you know you go to the website you know the whole thing is kind of about this like heavy metal branding approach so aggressive in a really really good way it's it's (laughs) hilarious but it really is just mountain water it's sparkling flat when you sign up for your newsletter you literally sign away your soul i paused i was like what like oh should I sign this and then I was like no it's it's just a just a newsletter sign up 
And the motto is murder your thirst. <laughs> yeah. And the murdering profile is used against every kind of oh piece of God. their admin copy throughout the whole experience. Like any sort of emails, any sort of Instagram, social media, like all that stuff. It has, it's basically just a very aggressive murdering campaign. So what was the flavor? There's no flavor. I don't know. It's just a sparkly water. They have this sustainability messaging also, which is kind of interesting, uh, all about like plastic bottles being, because this it comes in these like um, aluminum cans. Listen, I'm going to open one right now. And they are in tall boys, which is kind of exciting. I mean, I do like that. That was the one thing I would say mm -hmm. that stuck out to me in your photo. And I was like, yeah, I like that. Like, you're thirsty. You got to murder that thirst. I get murder it. Murder that thirst. Yeah. It is, it's kind of like an SNL campaign almost. Like, it really <laughs> could just be some, because they like satirize, satirize themselves so much. It sounds so silly. It is. And if you do want a, a free case, you could actually just sell your soul for the newsletter. Subscribe. You have to buy two cases, but they'll give you one case for free. And you can watch some really weird video of Joe Manganello as he signs his soul over. <laughs> what? This it's, is so weird. I, I did just get an email from them today and they have this brand new campaign. I think it's probably to for like a viral thing where they have a new website where you can name your baby and they'll give the baby this like death metal name. Wow. It's, yeah, it's a whole thing. I did feel a little bit bad because uh, I did get this delivered uh, about a week ago and it was during a heat wave here in LA and USPS delivered this heavy box. Oh, man. So I was like, this is a massive caveat, you know? Yeah, I feel yeah. Really bad about, you know, you get it at Whole Foods and stuff, but, you know, might as well get the full case. Right, right. You know, I've been sending you the nine gazillion targeted ads I've gotten on Instagram for different beverages. Mm -hmm. And I keep looking at them and being like, oh, I want to try this. But all of them are like, you got to buy a $50 case. And I just, what if I don't like it? Because some of them are weird. So right. I think I'm going to take a field trip to Whole Foods next week and buy a bunch of weird stuff and try it. That's awesome. I just want to try one, you know? Yeah, just try them all. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then report back to us. Um, My sister gave me a bunch of these like kind of boozy um, mixed cocktail drinks that are really, Ooh. really incredible for my birthday. Uh, yeah, they just kind of like showed up from Silver Lake Wines. And I was like, what is all this stuff? So we, we could do like a little, a recap of. Yeah, we might have to do another beverage episode. Might, yeah. Also, remember in the beverage episode when I was talking about like cocktails in a can, yeah. like, like the highball? Well, a distillery here in Philly, well, outside Philly, is doing vodka sodas in a can. Oh. So we're trying to get a hold of them, but it's like really, really hard. You have to go. But is there anything special? Can't you just make your own vodka soda? <laughs> but I think it's like if you, yeah, I mean, I agree. But it's like if you were, you know, right. at the beach or something and, you know, right. or in a picnic. Yeah. Um, and I, I like it because, you know, first off, I have always had to be that person who's to like bring a mm -hmm. bottle of liquor to a barbecue because I can't drink beer. So I think this is this is nice for that. And it's it's portable, you know. It's on brand as well. Yes. Yes, it is. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we have a pretty, a really intellectual episode today. Yeah. yeah. So this episode's all about normalization. And there is no denying that this last half of a year has really altered our sense of normalcy. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, we've been living in a quote unquote abnormal realm of reality for a few years here now. I'd really say at least in America, since Trump took office, our capacity uh -huh. to normalize has been increasing. And mm -hmm. you know, so is all of the commentary on and that even that word is just like a constant vocabulary word that everyone keeps using. And it's being used almost as a coping mechanism you know, we've been living through a time where what's up is down, fake news collides with real news, and the whole of the nation has been systematically gaslit by our government. That on top of a global pandemic and a stay-at-home order, social upheaval and a recession, and not to mention having to normalize a brand new essential, the face mask. <laughs> and, you know, Dustin and I were talking about all the hand sanitizer. Yeah. Like, we keep a big bottle of hand sanitizer in the car. We're sanitizing all the time. You know what? I've always thought that hand sanitizer was kind of bullshit. Yeah. And the people who would carry it around in their purse, so I was like, oh, they're uptight. And now here we all are getting the economy size one. I feel like I, like, got stocking stuffers of it, you know? And I yeah. always had these things. I got, like, I got a bunch of them laying around, and now I'm using them all. And I'm like, thank God I have these that I never touched before. I know. I know. It's true. It's true. What a 
strange time that we're all using hand sanitizer. Yeah. Hand sanitizer with masks. Yeah. You know, so normality is a subjective and objective construct formed by cultural, societal, situational, and moral perceptions. Yet many norms have stayed stuck as if in cement in these perceptions for decades, dependent on those larger forces with the most power to maintain their shape you know, like the government and like, you know, big business and all those things. Normalization used to take a lot longer, like decades. Shifting a collective opinion was a massive undertaking. Some of the first forms of normalization actually happened in Scandinavia. So back in the 1960s, there was this program developed to normalize people with learning disabilities amongst the community and develop socio-acceptance of these people and offer them that the same living conditions that are offered to other citizens, Mm -hmm. which is an awesome program. And it really paved the way for the U.S. to eventually start shifting. You know, they did bring in the people from Scandinavia to show them how they did it. And so in the U.S., we eventually started shifting to more acceptance and in turn, the normalization here in the mid part of the 70s. Part of that process was replacing those stigmatized words like, quote unquote, retarded which I remember being such a taboo word in the 80s. Do you remember that? I mean, I think it still is. I was joking. It is. I was joking with one of my former coworkers about how one of our coworkers would use that word at work to describe people and situation. And we would always be like, (gasps) (laughs) holding our breath while she talked about it. Yeah, You're like, wait, is it PC in this group of people to say it? Yeah. I mean, when I hear someone like that using that kind of word in, at work and thinking it's okay, it's because they don't know anybody who's got an intellectual disability. Yeah. You know? My, my aunt had a, a disability. And I really don't take offense to the word retarded because it was kind of pulled away from that community. Like, I personally would never even think of that as them, as a, as a community at all. You know, but mm-hmm. I think, yeah, I think there's definitely still some like situational nuances and, and difficulties around that word. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think it actually kind of started trending a little bit like in the aughts. I remember. Well, I feel like, I mean, we've talked about this before. The aughts were like a really trashy time. Oh my God. They really, really were. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, I read this book about the early aughts. I want to say it was called Raunch. I'll oh my God. share it in in that episode notes. But it was basically like how in the early aughts, women were like over-sexualized. Mm-hmm. And if you wanted to be cool or famous or seem like remotely modern, you had to be like really into stripper culture and wearing thong underwear and get a stripper pole in your house. It's like fascinating. Really just be as like sexual as possible. But it was like this, it was like people, women were being pushed to be that way. And this was also the era, I don't know if you remember this, but there was a lot of outrage. I want to say limited to, but maybe it was the children's Abercrombie was selling thong underwear for little girls and padded bras. Oh, yeah. So it was a weird time. It was a weird... Yeah, yeah, it was like a slutty, slutty time for like preteens. Yeah, yeah. I'm so glad that's over. I know. Yeah, I remember being shocked to see what kids looked like. And I was just like, I don't even know what age people are anymore. Oh, the book is called, I'm realizing now, it's called Female Chauvinist Pigs, Women and the Rise of Ranch Culture by Ariel Levy. And it's, Whoa. it holds up. That actually sounds so fascinating. I definitely want to get into that. It was... You know what? I read it and I was like, oh my God. Yeah, yeah. Nailed it. This was totally true. I believe it came out in 2005. Wow. It was really relevant relevant for mm-hmm. like 10 years there. And it was like this highly sexualized American culture kind of became the norm. You know, I mm-hmm. feel like, uh, oh my God, what's his name? Who's the guy from Playboy? Hugh Hefner. Hugh Hefner was having a moment. Think about like Terry Richardson, yeah. Doug oh, Charney, American Apparel. I know. It's so It was like all underage sexuality, you know? And then there was that show, Rock of Love, starring uh, yes. Brett Michaels. And that was raunchy. Oh, my God. <laughs> that was also during the culture of the pickup artist. Yeah. Which was so fascinating, yeah. Basically, like, being really horny was normalized. Yeah, it was. It's funny that we've had this, like, Me Too moment after that because I think it accelerated the harassment 
and like weird mistreatment of women in the workplace because that's what the culture was. Yeah. Well, and then remember we went to norm core. So like normal, normal became the normal. Whatever that but normal, means. But normal was like an 80s, 90s, like dad. Yeah. My mom, like, like a very hyper, hyper, like middle America normal. Yeah. That's was the new normal. Oh, right? weird. So, yeah. So, I mean, shifts and, and, and public opinions are, you know, kind of the driving force behind all of that. And it used to take decades, decades to work. And, you know, like right now, I kind of feel like we're, I don't know if you've watched Community, but they have these like dark timelines. <laughs> and sometimes I feel like we're in this like alternative timeline. <laughs> that was like what they call quote unquote, their dark timeline that we would have never, ever imagined 10 years ago. No, ever I mean, a, four years ago, I wouldn't have imagined that. Two, two years ago. I remember all of us crying the day after the election, and yet mm-hmm. none of us could have even imagined all of the things that came after that. In fact, I would say if anything has become normalized in the last four years, it's terrible things as a, yes. as a category, you know? And what's being normalized is, is public and um, personal mental health because yeah. of all of this. Yeah. And like, that's a huge normalization. It's just like, you know, there's like a thousand Instagram accounts just on like uh, mental health and your well-being during this time and the fact that it's okay to feel bad. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> thank God. I listened to a story on NPR yesterday that of Americans surveyed admit that they are experiencing depression right now. And I guess that's like triple the normal amount. And to be honest, I thought it would be much higher. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I actually, I was like, well, who are they polling? Because I kind of feel like they're missing some some sector. Yeah. I I don't know. It seems like 100% of my friends are depressed. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I would say like maybe 99. Yeah. There's always that one person who's like, life is somehow normal right now. <laughs> yeah. I did I did post on Instagram this hilarious meme from the office. Oh god, what's his name? Stanley, Stanley. It goes through the the months and it's like introverts in 2020. And I'm like, that's how I feel. And he's like just having the time of his life. He's like, we get to go home in March. I'm like, yeah. Um anyway, so there's been a movement um in our worlds as they shatter and tear apart and we're kind of all putting them back together Mm -hmm. Uh, and social media these days holds a lot more power than ever before where we actually as a people are able to start twisting and establishing new normals or normalizing faster than ever and deciding what gets normalized who gets normalized there's a desire to set these normals amongst undervalued, oppressed, repressed, counterculture, and minority populations. And that actual normalization is becoming more mainstream. So everything from social justice campaigns to environmentalism, political upheavals, mental health, wellness, body, sexuality, people now actually have the power to start breaking down that old normal that was defined by, you know, unseen government forces or, you know, big business to form new normals, even in the middle of a stay-at-home order, or actually because of a stay-at-home order, because people actually have the time and the determination and that capacity to actually Mm -hmm. reach all these other individuals who also want to activate. So it's fascinating to see this recognition of this crazy, unreal reality and normalcy uh, and that need for massive change. There's this brand called Brain Dead. And they just launched a collab with North Face. And on the back of their placket fleece, that's like a throwback, um, nostalgic North Face fleece, they have embroidered saying stamp out reality. <laughs> which I really want it. It's like brightly, like kind of Crayola colored. But, you know, it's, it is pervasive amongst, you know, all areas of industry and, and society. Normalization in these shifts has started to trend in the meme world. Uh, I've sent you a few of these, Amanda, and I personally see a quote or a meme on Instagram at least once a day that includes that idea of normalization. And another really, mm-hmm. really popular trend are these PSA, public service announcement graphics, the in maximal texts that are designed as social statements, something really easily repostable, digestible, and with a big educational angle that has maximum virility and they're able to be just 
posted and reposted. Well, there's a few examples, you know, and it's and it's amongst, you know, pretty much anything that people are trying to normalize. But the actual idea of normalizing, there's one, um, Chicks for Climate has one, and it's a picture of two men kind of consoling each other. And it says, normalize men needing emotional support, which is super poignant. Refinery29 has one, and it's just a quote, you don't have to normalize chaos in your life. And then there's an Instagram account called Clo, C-L-O, Clo. It says normalize normal bodies. And it has a woman who, you know, is kind of slouched over in, in a bikini. And um, it just says normalize normal bodies. There's a bunch of different ones, lots of like tweets that have been reposted as Instagrams about normalize checking in on yourself when you're wrong, normalize being okay with being held accountable without playing the victim, normalize being okay with people seeing your projections, calling them out and you fixing them. That's a long one. There's a bunch of them. You know, we can post some of them. It's kind of everywhere. It is. This is the most I've seen the word normalize like ever. (laughs) So, you know, I kind of want to just start out in this normalizing realm. You know, we, we kind of broke out just a few small topics. And there is a trend of destigmatizing and normalizing puberty for teens. Being a teenager sucks. <laughs> yeah. So, so much self-consciousness compounded by puberty hormones, teen skin hell makes for high misery potential. And I remember back in my teens, we had the Nugzima girl who ended up becoming Felicity and Oxypads. We had that guy from the 70s show, Danny Masterson. Oh my God. Remember that? Yeah. Yeah. Those things were like literally the worst thing you could ever yeah. put on your face. They were just aggravating yeah. your issues. Like they were just made to be so violent to your skin. All of the things where Dylan sent me a meme the other day that was like, if you're having a bad day, just remember that there are people out there still using St. Ives apricot scrub. <laughs> I was like, and, and it was like, and they have it worse or something. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, I know why all the yeah. options we had were so bad. <laughs> well, you know, Refiner29 reports that 85% of 12 to 24 year olds experience acne and more than 50% of women in their 20s experience breakouts. I mean, I personally experience breakouts constantly. Um, Yeah, everyone does, especially everyone now does. that we have to wear a mask. Because I like break out under my mask. Oh, my mask. Yeah. Oh, yes, absolutely. You know, um, teens have it quite a bit luckier these days. Um, Yeah. There are some really great indie brands also who have merged um, with a unique approach to normalizing teen skin and that rite of passage. They've even started building trends that make it not just acceptable, but rejoiced. Uh, There are these pimple patches And they're not anything new here. You know, K-Beauty has had them for a while and people really swear by them. Um, They're those like, the K-Beauty ones are just kind of like those little dots. No, they work. Um, They work. work, Yeah. Yeah. It's the best thing you can do. There are these new Gen Z targeted brands that are using these patches and cultivating a massive following and trend around novelty pimple patches. So Starface and Squish have both reinvented them and are not just kind of concealing but they're decorating your acne and they also do help heal as well starface founder julie shot said to refinery 29 the purpose was to make this uncomfortable moment and turn it into something positive and self-acceptance and pride almost they almost is weird and it actually is working you know their key product are these bright yellow stars that are housed in this ipod-esque container Hydro stars turn treating spots into self-expression. Never feel sad or cancel plans over pimples again. Draw attention to your flaws and celebrate or adorn them rather than hide them. And you go on their Instagram and like they have built a massive community around this. And teens are just, you know, flocking to it because this is a, a new way to normalize something that just happens to 85% of them. Squish is another brand that embraces that cute spot patch, but theirs are flower shape and they have a little crystal in them. Their branding goes super far into the 70s boudoir Mm. photography style. And they have these very Amanda special cherry shape eye and cheek masks that would also make really amazing gifts. Yeah, Both brands encourage real skin and bodies and they don't retouch. And this is kind of happening 
a lot more with these more transparent uh, brands that are kind of, you know, emerging is accepting reality and, you know, not showing some sort of fake retouched semblance of a human form. I sometimes wonder if they actually got this idea from the Cosby show. So there was this episode, I don't know if you remember this one, Amanda, where Vanessa gets a pimple and um, she covers it with a headband. Oh my God, yes. <laughs> I have done this. Yes, yes. <laughs> and then at the end of the episode, she gets one, not on her forehead, but like on her like cheek or something and has like a full meltdown. And I remember Rudy just being like, just just put a Band-Aid on it. And I was oh like, my God. Idea. it was such a brilliant idea. I remember this girl at school. She was, she was very awkward. Like her dad was like the town minister, you know, and- <laughs> uh, she came to school with a huge Band-Aid in the middle of her forehead. And I didn't say anything to her, but because I was like, oh, she probably is it. I get it. It must be really bad. And some guy was like, why do you have a Band-Aid? And she was like, oh, God, I just had a boil lanced. And we were all like, whoa. That's disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> Too far. Yeah. You have a set. Like, don't say that. <laughs> Well, slightly down a different path. Amanda, did you know that only nine states mandate medically accurate sex ed in school? I mean, I'm not surprised. I don't think I learned anything in sex ed. It was so awkward. And my teacher was sweating so much and he kept calling it sexual relations. And it was so (laughs) uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was it it was insanely uncomfortable. Yeah. Everyone was sweating and, and uncomfortable. You know, and like I remember they would like kind of split you off the boys and girls off. Yeah. But you did have to learn some together and it was just painfully awkward and it should not be. I agree. And I think that boys and girls should be together for it because I found when yeah. I became an adult that the boys I dated were like completely mystified about things. You know, like yeah. I didn't understand what was going on at all, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, there's this brand that's doing teen girls a real solid, and it's a company called Bloom. It's this wellness company that mixes both natural products, actual education for the women, and a supportive community that has this puberty do-over campaign and hopes to address self-esteem issues, removing taboos associated with becoming a woman. They also feature campaigns of people with untouched skin and acne and untouched body flaws. You know, the website says puberty is a pivotal time in a girl's life. It shapes her expectations of womanhood done right. Girls can feel good about their bodies and celebrate becoming a woman in a life shaping way. This is what we're all about helping to create a new generation of thriving, confident, informed young women who are eager to become the very best versions of themselves. They have this really great assortment of skincare products that actually has a cult following. They also have period products and natural deodorant. I think they even have this like really great period starter kit that you can give to girls that also has information in it. <laughs> you know, their products are all natural and environmentally friendly. They even have tam- tampons with bioplastic applicators. And it was founded by two sisters and they are quoted as, as saying about actual acne is it doesn't need to be a taboo or awkward to talk about considering what a common experience it is for so many people, no matter our age, color, gender, or size. Totally. You know, I mean, it's everyone. Right? Yeah. It's everyone. I mean, we definitely have a way to go. And I think, you know, it, this is just the tip of the iceberg on how we kind of start accepting it and start accepting it at a younger and younger age mm-hmm. i'd be really excited to see what happens with the next generation i know another area that they're really trying to talk to normalize um is talking about sexuality they started bloom because 60 percent of women told them that their self-esteem plummeted as they went through puberty and they want that stat to change accurate sex ed and open conversations is how we'll get there so they created a program and it's called the states of And it has a full curriculum of medically accurate material about sex ed, everything from physical to emotional, safe sex practices, contraception, and healthy relationships. They even partner with activists in all different kinds of like sexual health and sexuality specifications. And, you know, they're trying to get the word out there because teachers can download this curriculum and actually use it to teach sex ed, which is, you know extremely necessary yeah yeah so 
Did your mom ever have like a sex talk with you? I, I remember her giving me this book. Me too. I just got a book. <laughs> with like okay. giants of animals having sex. Oh my God. Stop. Yeah. Uh, Tell yeah, my me. Mom I have to know what happened with your mother. Well, first off, my mom got me a book because she was like, you'll probably learn all this in school, but just in case. Like, my mom never even talked to me about periods. Like, she was just like, you'll learn it at school. And if not, yeah. you'll learn it from this book. And that's so unfortunate is just parents just leaving it to the education to teach when really, like, you could just you can't trust it. No, you can't. You can't. Yeah. So anyway, so yeah, my mom got me a book. I do remember she would always – she still wanted to educate me about sex, but in like the most fucked up way possible. She'd be like, <laughs> you know, all men want is one thing. And so it's up to you to use, use that to your advantage. And like, yeah. you know, if you get pregnant, your life's ruined. So don't like things like that, but never like, nice. Have you considered your birth control options? Or like, I remember when I, I was, I mean, I'm not, I'm not embarrassed to admit this now. I would have been mm -hmm. as a teenager. I was the last of all my friends to go through puberty. Like my mom had taken me to the doctor in ninth grade. It was basically like, what's wrong with her? And the doctor was like, everything seems fine. So I was like mortified that I had not gone through puberty yet. And I was in high school. And when it finally happened, I didn't tell my mom for a few weeks because I knew she was going to be upset. And when I finally did, she laid her head down on the table and said, this is when all the trouble begins. Oh my God. And the fact that you also remember exactly what she said, it means that it was a very, pivotal point i know uh, it was a very pivotal point and uh i for me I'm, i was just like i have to make sure that that never happens for dylan you know i mean that is like a, a cartoon i know i know i, I can laugh about it now because i'm like yeah. what the hell is wrong with you you're so silly but uh definitely did not get that kind of education no. and then we didn't like i they, I think we had sex ed in eighth grade. I feel like that's the year it happened in school. I mean, we had like a weird movie in fourth or fifth grade that mm -hmm. the girls had to go watch about periods. But I feel like real sex ed happened in about eighth grade. And for a lot of kids, that's kind of late. Like mm -hmm. if your parents aren't going to teach you, you're going to go through this before you get that quote unquote education. If you get it at all. It was like one week for us. Yeah, it was. It was one week. And then I, I feel like it was like Sex in the City came out and you could have learned more from Sex in the City than you did. <laughs> you did. From oh, my God. Speaking yeah. of the raunchy early yeah. odds, there's another example. So I am going to talk to you about something that's a little bit similar to or it's like on topic. It's a, it's a natural fit. It's a women's body hair. So, Kim, how old were you when you started shaving your Gosh. legs? I remember my mother showing me how to shave my legs. Oh my god, I that is a good question. Definitely middle school. Yeah, I think middle school for me too. And I remember my mom bought me an electric razor. For, electric razor? For my birthday. And she was like, Your leg hair is out of control. And I had like blonde leg hair. Like I kinda wish I would have never started shaving it, to be yeah. honest. Anyway. I remember my mother, I think she gave me a bick. You know, those Whoa. Yeah, those ones. are the words. Yeah, oh like my that crap God. doesn't eat, like it barely works. Oh. And do you remember, your, your, did your mother ever tell you not to shave above your knees? Yes. Yeah, yes. that was like super no no. And I'm like, why? There's it's like massive so, hair. <laughs> so ridiculous. And I, there was that episode of Pen 15 where they got to shave their calves to oh go God, to the school pants because they were wearing capri pants. And I was like, yes. oh my God, I wasn't allowed to shave above my knees either. Like mm -hmm. this is, this was a common and totally confusing thing. Why, why was that? I have no idea. I, we need to, we need to do a survey of all of our moms and find out. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting. Like when I started to Google, like normalize women's body hair, it was all about like, Women speak out about body hair. Men give their opinions on women's body hair. And so it's it's interesting that, like, women are expected to have, like, a, a stance on body hair that they can also, like, defend effectively because mm. men are never expected to have a stance on their body hair. Like, they just have it, and we all accept it, right? Even when yeah. it's weird or gross, right? <laughs> or not gross. Even yeah. when it's weird and excessive. It's some. Sometimes it's gross. Sometimes it is gross. Uh, Sometimes it's but gross. I want to normalize men's body hair too. So anyway, yeah, it's interesting because so men aren't expected to have a stance on their body hair, but they are expected to have a, an opinion on women's body hair. Like we're all, all humans are supposed to have an opinion on women's <laughs> body hair, right? 
So I wanted to like find out like what are the social norms or at least the previous social norms around body hair for women. And a survey from late 2019, so not that long ago, found that 84% of women groom their pubic hair to some extent. But in the 60s and 70s and even part of the 80s, no one did. Like, it, you would have been like, everybody would be like, what, are you in porno? No, they wouldn't even say that because porno wasn't normalized, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and furthermore, in the 60s and 70s, armpit hair was very common. So unless you were like a movie star or a model or like really uptight. Um, but if you were cool, you definitely had armpit hair. So huh. the thing is, hair removal is a huge industry. The body hair removal device market, <laughs> that's like a lot of things, <laughs> was valued at $1.2 billion in 2017. And it's set to reach $3.4 billion by 2025. So it's- Whoa, that's like almost triple. I know. And when you think about like most of that stuff's like not that expensive, you yeah. know, that's a lot of razors and wax strips and what epiladies. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so then, you know, okay, so we're thinking about legs. All the, We're thinking about all the body hair that's below <laughs> the neck. But yeah. what about facial hair? Mm-hmm. 72% of surveyed Americans, so it's just Americans, believe that women should remove all facial hair. Now, I'm assuming they don't meet the eyebrows because that would be weird. Yeah. But the breakdown by gender was really interesting to me. 78% of men said that women need to remove all their facial hair. 67% of women said it. So men really feeling a lot more passionately about this. And then I was, this was like the saddest thing of all. I was sad to discover that on average, women with facial hair spend 104 minutes a week managing it. It's almost two hours. I mean, that would be like a hundred hours a year dealing with your stash. I mean, that broke my heart. That broke my heart. So what do they, what do they do? Is it mostly like bleaching? Is it all kinds, bleaching, plucking, waxing, electrolysis, you know, unique trimming yeah. in certain cases. So yeah. body hair and the lack of access to waxing has been a pain point for a lot of women during quarantine. I mean, some are like, I feel like because body hair ha- is so not, was not normalized before the pandemic that there were people mm-hmm. who were like so desperate to get their hair into check that they were trying the, all kinds of terrible things yeah. like home waxing, mm-hmm. depilatories, like, you know, Nair, uh, yeah. weird home hair removal devices. I remember in, in early in the pandemic reading about some company that I thought was just quackery that sold these weird like laser hair removal things. You could get them for like 50 bucks at like Ulta. Yeah. They were like making money like crazy. Hand over fist. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know if they work, but they were selling it. And that made me think of Epilady and all the infomercials uh-huh. for Epilady when we were teens, which I've yeah. never tried. Did you try that? No, no. Yeah, no, terrifying. I'm not. Yeah, I'm just like I'm a pretty DIY. Yeah, yeah, me too, me but too. I, I have heard that sugaring is like the hot new trend that was happening before. I mean, um, I just I don't do that stuff. I I don't either. It's expensive. It is painful, and I have really sensitive skin. So it's just like, yeah, and you got you have to go somewhere. Like, like as an introvert, like going to the gyno is hard enough for me. Like going on like um I don't know what is it monthly bi monthly basis to have someone. In your get, private, get, get there? No, and you. looking <laughs> and looking at your butthole. Okay, <laughs> right, right, yeah. Right. I'm glad we're in agreement oh on this one. That, the people that like bleach their their oh, their, their bottoms. I can't. I can't. Their bottoms. I can't. Their bottoms. I can't. I can't. It's. A, it can't be good. It can't be good. So yeah. some people have been like just freaking the fuck out, and I've heard stories of all kinds yeah. of terrible semi maimings from trying to wax themselves. But others have just like come to peace with it. And they realize that like, hey, I was just removing my body hair for other people. Like other people make me feel like a disgusting monster, but I actually have no Mm -hmm. problem with it. And I think that's where the normalization of body hair begins is realizing why you're doing it, removing it and realize why you don't need to. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 
So Billy are these cute all over Instagram subscription razors. I mean, I, I get asked for them constantly. Constantly. At my last job, you'd go up to pick up the mail and there'd be like 90 boxes. Like every girl was getting them. And they have actually been on a mission to normalize women's body hair via a project aptly called Project Body Hair. It was launched in 2018. So this isn't like new news, but I felt like it was a really good story for what's happening now. Absolutely. So of course, that's like super ironic because they're a razor company and they're trying to normalize women's body hair. So they pointed out that while there have been plenty of print and commercial campaigns for razors over the decades, I mean, I can picture them, all mm-hmm. of them have simply shown the razor gliding over the skin. And it's true. Even when it's like a shaving cream commercial, like the razor will yeah. remove the shaving cream. But there's no hair, right? There's no hair. No, they're, they're basically like mermaids, like Botticelli mermaids coming out of like a scallop shell, essentially. <laughs> but somehow still needing to shave. But, yeah, yeah, completely like bare as like a baby. It's so, <laughs> yeah. it's so weird. It's just like, like the blue liquid in maxi max yeah. commercials like it's so strange yeah you just, accept, you just accept these two things but they're like so stupid so project body hair aims to normalize seeing women with body hair and also accepting that what it looks like when they remove it right even in 2020 now it was like shocking to see someone caring about yeah. this and doing something about it because you know you and I became adults in the era of like Paris Hilton and stripper mm-hmm. culture and stuff so we are we definitely came up in the era of like no body hair unfortunately you know or like a landing strip oh exactly exactly <laughs> like i hate that yeah. is gross i yeah. hate it if that's your jam that's fine but like it was everyone was being pressured for this weird mm-hmm weird over grooming of your pubic hair. Mm -hmm. So the launch of the project was accompanied by a video by Ashley Armitage and she's, she's at ladyist on Instagram. And I think you'll love her photography. If you love like dreamy pink photos of teenage girls, uh, the theme of the video. Yeah, no, it's, it's really, (laughs) you will love it. You should check it out. The theme of the video was the world pretends it doesn't exist, but it does like that. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. But that wasn't all like, like the, the video is really cool. Like this was a very complex and well thought through campaign. Like I can really appreciate everything they were doing. First, you know, the video said basically, "Hey, I know we're a razor company, but you don't have to remove your body hair if you don't want to. Or you can pick and choose what you keep versus shave or pluck or wax or bleach. Like whatever works for you is is the right thing." Next, and I this was really interesting. This is one of the things when I read it, I was like, "Huh, you're right." Billy realized that there's a lack of women with body hair in stock photo libraries. And why is that a big deal? Well, stock photos are used so much in advertising and web content, Mm -hmm. any sort of publication. There's stock photos are everywhere. A lot of newspaper articles are actually accompanied by stock photos or in some magazines, definitely a lot of blogs. So Billy donated all of their body hair photos to Unsplash, which is a stock photo resource to just try to get more out there. And then lastly, they crowdsourced more body hair photography via Project Body Hair and using the hashtag Project Body Hair. So I have to say, like, this, like, this built up steam, right? Like, people were getting into it. I found, first off, (laughs) of all places, I found an article in Time magazine... (laughs) which is pretty conservative and very middle America, right? Entitled, Body Hair is Natural, Society Thinking Otherwise is Dangerous. I was like, what? This is like so right on. So I I actually did pull a paragraph that I want to read from it because I thought it really nailed it. And once again, so crazy that this is in Time Magazine, which is like what my grandparents would subscribe to. It's like what next Reader's Digest, you know? Yeah. And the TV Guide. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So as a moral philosopher, this stealthy rise of the demands of beauty and how the modified body is becoming the normal and sometimes even the natural body concern me. And it doesn't end there. That we have to do more work to create normalcy or nature is obvious. If we are to banish hair from our bodies, we need more shaving, plucking, waxing, and lasering. Meanwhile, when it comes to our heads, our hair must be abundant and we dye, style, weave, extend, and implant in our quest for luscious locks. This level of defluffing is demanding, constant, repeated almost daily. Yet that it is demanding and just how demanding it is, is little recognized. Instead, it is normalized. Mm -hmm. So this idea of like 
putting all this effort to the hair in your head, putting all this effort into the hair on the rest of your body is, is just normal now. As the hairless body becomes the only acceptable body, a dramatic shift happens. Defluffing stops being a beauty practice and becomes redefined as a hygiene practice Ooh. as part of a so-called routine maintenance. Hair removal becomes something we have to do, a requirement. It is not an option to refuse, you know, much like teeth cleaning, but without any of the health benefits. Beauty practices are indulgent and optional. Hygiene practices are necessary and required. You don't have to do a beauty practice. You do have to do something that is required to meet minimum standards just to be normal. Once the shift to routine is complete, the fact that this is a demanding beauty practice becomes invisible. So basically, we're normalizing excess grooming and making it like mandatory. So like you have to- And expected. Yes, like you must shave your legs. Like this could be in a situation where you could find it in like an employee handbook when they talk about like, you know, what yeah. you can wear or not, you know, a dress code and like being presentable. Like that could be part of it. And that's that's terrifying. It went on to explain like a good metaphor- or another example of normalizing a beauty uh, treatment is hairstyling, which once was like a special occasion sort of thing. And now it's a daily expectation for any upstanding adult woman. Uh, other ones are hair dyeing. That used to be something that just some people did. Now it's so common. I mean, there's a million brands selling you hair dye right now. Yeah. Uh, wearing the craze. Right. Because ageism. Yeah. You know, you don't want to be old. Wearing perfume, also, once again, only a thing that people would do on special occasions. Now it's like a normal thing. Body lotion. I feel like body lotion got really normalized in the late 80s, early 90s, where everyone had to be lotioning. And now it's like a whole aisle at Target. I think what we've been seeing getting really normalized in the past few years are these like epic skincare routines, uh, like people taking their shelfies of all their beauty products, like their skincare products. And... Another one that, like, I was just trying to think of, like, beauty trends that have become almost mandatory, facial contouring makeup. Gross. Once a thing (laughs) that only, like, professional makeup artists did to people for TV and movies, then became a thing that Kardashians did, then became a thing that influencers did. Then there's, like, palettes at all price points to contour your face. And look like a mannequin. And the worst is when they do, like, like, the boobs, too. Oh, God, I know. I mean, when I see someone who is face full of, of like contouring, I am, I stare at them like, (laughs) and it's like, I can't look away. (laughs) Well, and you want to talk about a time consuming Mm -hmm. beauty assignment, if you will. I mean, that takes a lot of time, a lot of money. You need special tools. It's a lot of brushing. Yeah. And it's a lot Mm -hmm. of makeup. It's, Mm -hmm. but it's, once again, it's been normalized to the point where like, if you work in a place where it is very appearance focused, you must be contouring your face, right? Along with yeah. having your hair done. And, you know, I felt like working in the fashion industry, like it was normalized that you should be getting a mani pedi every two weeks. And like you should be, you know, doing all the beauty things all the time, certainly removing all yeah. of your body hair. So, there's a small but growing social media movement called hashtag everyday lookism. And it's, it's primarily about calling for the end of body shaming, and that includes body hair shaming. And, man, I was looking at some of the posts, and they are so upsetting because people are getting shamed by their friends and relatives for mm-hmm. not shaving their legs enough, having a unibrow, not waxing their face often enough, underarm hair. I mean, you name it. Just people in their lives who they loved and trust shaming them about their body hair. Well, you know what's kind of interesting also is – there has been a growing trend of like models with kind of like weird teeth or Mm -hmm. with like a weird, yeah, like maybe like a unibrow or something becoming really popular. Oh my God. For sure. Unique unique looks which is so awesome it is it is really cool we need more of that absolutely yeah that's like the normalization because those are the influencers it's true i feel like i see it with the more like edgy youth focused Mm -hmm. brands like urban outfitters has had a lot of models with like unibrows or a little bit of facial hair armpit hair what we need to reach like the point of normalization is we need to see that on the target website and like 
Old Navy and Gap and yeah. whatnot, you old know. Navy. <laughs> Please, but that's Old Navy. That's why I want to see someone on Old Navy with a unibrow, you know. Yeah. So armpit hair has definitely actually been the first of all the body hair sites to be normalized, and you'll see it in a lot of fashion editorial right now. But some argue that while more and more people are okay with armpit hair, they still mock women with facial hair or chest hair hairy arms, et cetera. So there's still a long way to go. Like we can't just accept one kind of body hair. We need to go with all of it, right? Mm -hmm. So on the subject of body hair is this brand called Fur. Uh, It's a line of skincare for your pubes and the skin around them. Mm -hmm. It's unisex. And the branding is really cool. Uh, They actually use my favorite internet cat, Madib, as a mascot. And she's a black Persian cat who's totally fine with wearing clothes. When I saw her doing ads (laughs) for fur, I got really excited. I was like, what is this brand? And their mission is to provide skincare for all, for all people, whether you think the bush is back or skin is in. That's their their slogan. So they have shaving creams, lotions, and their signature oil. I mean, I'm not that high maintenance, but I do think if you are doing a lot of grooming in that zone, this is something you want to check out because it's a delicate area. I mean, I have to admit that during the first month of the the pandemic, they did a, a pretty big special and I bought their kit. Wow. Well, how, uh-huh. how are your privates? Well, you know, and it's actually for all the hair on your body. Oh, cool. Yeah. So, like, you can use it kind of anywhere, especially anywhere that you might shave. It definitely is, you know, for hair, for your privates. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's, it's a very, you know, self-care, very luxurious. I don't know if it's something that I would consistently be buying, but it's a very disruptor product that um, no one has ever really done or embraced before. And I don't use it enough to really see much of a difference. I really should probably use it, you know, every day to like really be able to give some really good feedback. But um, it is it is really luxurious to be able to kind of pamper your privates. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, this was actually part one of our series of episodes about normalization. Surprise! So part two will be coming next week. Please, like Kim said, leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It's so easy. It will not take that long. We don't need a paragraph long review. You could even just say, nice. (laughs) (laughs) Good job. (laughs) (laughs) Everything we talked about today you will find it on our website, thedepartment.world. Kim writes up a very lengthy, detailed notes, so you can find links to everything we've discussed. That's right. And you can find us on Instagram at underscore the underscore department. Sorry, it's complicated. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and yeah, we'll be back next week with part two. Thank you. Bye. Bye.